Well, let's get into this. Um, we're in 2 Corinthians again. We're, we're getting down toward the end of the book here. And the message is called, Check Yourself Before You Wreck Yourself. Uh, check yourself before you wreck yourself. You know, in every situation, uh, we need checkups. The other day, uh, my wife uh, was, was driving over the hill to, to come to church. And uh, there's a guy in front of her, and, and it was a big truck. And he was going slower and slower and slower. And traffic was piling up behind her. And so uh, going up the hill on the steep part of the H3, she, she decided she had to pull out and pass. And all of a sudden, the, the, the temperature gauge in the car goes, Zzz! And she freaked out. You know, she thought she blew up the engine and all that. And, uh, uh, you know, we just had a dying thermostat in our car. And, and uh, I, I, you know, I used to work on my cars all the time, all, everything I did myself. I found it cost 120 bucks to replace a $6 thermostat. Uh, but I, I took it in and got it done. I think I'm going to go back into doing a wrench. But um, <laughs> if we don't fix the $6 part, the chances of blowing a head gasket and getting water in the cylinders or even cracking the head are really serious. If we don't every so often check up on where we're at and uh, take a look at ourselves, uh, we, we, we can, things can go pretty far south uh, before we catch up. We, we need to be overt about this. We need to be in a position where we're a little bit aggressive about just looking at our own life and checking ourselves. You know, I always put it this way. I want to be blessable. Everybody wants blessings. I want to be blessable so I can have blessings. I don't want my life to be lived in a way that God doesn't honor and God doesn't bless. You know, it causes me to make sure I pay my tithe. It causes me to make sure that I'm in the Word every day. I, I've been reading the New Testament. I, I did one of these. Uh, 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 you know, I, I got this my Bible in my phone, and um, I, I get they got these different reading patterns that you can get. There's a thing called if you want to write this down, U version, just go to your app store or to the Google thing and, and, and type in U version. And it comes up with this really rich church in the South has spent millions of dollars. Literally, I know a guy that's their project advisor. They have spent millions of dollars building this incredible Bible devotional software. And you can be reading it in, in the New Living Translation and then with it with Two keystrokes, you're reading it from the Message Bible or the New King James Bible or the what you can just swap back and forth like crazy. And they got about about fifty some odd different Bible reading plans. You pick one in January and you read through the year. And there's a way, by the way, if you start it tomorrow, it'll say day one is November the fourth. Uh, but there's a way to go back and jack it around. You gotta go on the website because you get an account on the website, and you go on the website and you can make it around so it starts January one. So you don't got to wait till January 1 to do it. But I picked this thing that's a, it's a chronological Bible thing. Now, I thought it was going to be one because we went through this thing once called the narrated Bible where they take you know, a little bit of First Chronicles, a little bit of First Kings, and they mix it together, and you just read it like a story. They actually give you like if Matthew wrote about it and then Mark wrote about it, you read Matthew, then you read Mark, and then you read Luke, and it's the same stuff, you know. But I was in Ezekiel before that, and I'm really happy to be in the New Testament. But to me, just read my Bible, and sometimes Ezekiel isn't exactly fun. Or reading Leviticus is boring, you know. But the discipline of spending time with God every day and praying every day 
And, and, and sometimes I read through the devotional thing, now I gotta go read favorite verses just to feel uplifted. I mean, you read Ezekiel, you know, um, and, and then it, it just, the discipline puts me in touch with the Lord. I want to stay, I used to hear somebody say it this way, stay under the spout where the blessings pour out. I want to be there. I want to check on myself. And so Paul is writing to the, to the Corinthian church and, 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 and he's kind of warning them. I'm coming. I want to see things right. I don't want to see you screwing up. And uh, so get your act together. He says in verse 1, this is the third time I'm coming to visit you. And as the scriptures say, the facts of every case must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I have already warned those who had been sinning when I was there on my second visit. Now again I warned them and all the others, just as I did before, and next time I won't spare them. In other words, I was here before, I gave you a warning because of the sin that was in your life. This time I'm coming and we're going to have some serious discipline. And so get it right before I get to town. Verse 3, I will give you all the proof you want that Christ speaks through me. Christ is not weak when he deals with you. He is powerful among you. Corinthian church, read 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, had huge amounts of the miraculous going on. He says, Christ is powerful in your midst and you know it. But when, but when I come speaking words of judgment, God will pronounce the judgment. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? When God disciplines, he disciplines severely. So it says, I will give you all the proof you want that Christ speaks through me. Christ is not weak when he deals with you. He is powerful among you. Although he was crucified in weakness, he now lives by the power of God. We too are weak, just as Christ was. But when we deal with you, we will be alive in him and we will have God's power. This is menacing, threatening words to these people. Now, I hope you're not taking it that way because I don't think you are all doing incest or things like that. Uh, but I think that we all do every so often need a checkup. Verse 5, and you might underline these words. Examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Is your faith genuine? Today a person asked me a question about, when I was teaching at this other church, and they asked me a question about a uh, mini church, and they said, I basically have, have, a, have a small group and it's all a bunch of, of veteran Christians who basically, are they've heard it all. And they're jaded. And nobody has any vision. Nobody wants it. And he's wanting, he's got a great big mini church, like 20 some odd people. And he's wanting to start others and, and, and break it up and, and share with the goodness with other people. And they don't want to hear it. They're spectators. They have just turned into spectators. And, and, and we use that word in the discussion. That's all they want. They want to... Just come and sit and listen and get blessed and then go home. And uh, he's saying there's got to be more to it than that. And he says, examine yourself to see if your faith is genuine. Here's what happens. Sometimes when you're a spe spectator, you, if you look at yourself real hard, you'll find that you're actually sort of having little shadow doubts. Do I really believe in the resurrection? Do I really believe in the virgin birth? Do I, do I believe all that stuff? You know, Jesus really healed the blind people. I'm, I, you know, I, 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 I just, you know, I'm not sure. It's a good moral thing. I like it. See? And we can slide into this stuff. And so he says, examine yourselves to see if your faith is real. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you or in you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. As you test yourselves, I hope that you'll recognize that we, Paul's talking about himself, and his friends have not failed the test of apostolic authority. 
In other words, when we pray for people, people get healed. You know, I was talking to my friend Harold tonight, and he was telling me about you praying with somebody this morning, and it blew his brains out. And Harold's old. <laughs> How old now? 78? Almost. Uh, Harold's been to seminary. Harold planted Windward Missionary Church. And he's all over here getting excited about what Blair's doing, praying for somebody in our church. Blair's a machinist. And Harold's all excited about what he saw, the power of God at work in your life, huh? Because of those prayers. So Paul's talking about apostolic authority. Apostolic authority is proven by results. You know, by, by, by churches being planted. This church has an apostolic anointing on it, Hope Chapel. Would you believe that? I mean... We, we now know, we think we know, we're, we're, we're going to check this out quite a little bit further, but the last time we phoned around to find out how many churches there were in the world, yeah, the number was over 700, but it was in 1998. And I was in Phoenix this year, and I ran into a guy in New Hampshire that I know that's a church planter from, I sent a guy named Jeff out who sent Dale out who sent Tom out. Tom got saved in Dale's church. And, and Tom... It now says that they've got over 350 churches in the Philippine Islands that we never knew about. So that pushes it over 1,000. We, we, we believe it's actually over 1,100 now, uh, but we want to check it out a little bit further. Uh, there, there's an apostolic touch upon the life of this church. It's, it's just something that you don't see everywhere you go. And, and so he goes, I hope you, you understand that we haven't failed the test of apostolic authority. And by the way, none of this... 1,100 churches or whatever has anything to do with my travels in the last five years. Because I don't even go to Hope Chapels anymore. I go to places where movements like we were in 1971 are just getting off the ground and try to fan their fire and try to multiply movements rather than multiplying churches. And, uh, and I just thank you guys so much for tolerating me being gone so much. I mean, it, it really is a rarity in most churches for, for me to be able to be your pastor and you to give me the permission to do what I'm doing uh, ain't going to happen in a lot of places. And it's just, uh, to me, it's a wonder that God has done what he's done from the most remote group of islands in the whole wide world. We are further from mainland than any islands in the whole world, and yet we're doing this stuff around the world. I'm going to, to the party that they're holding tomorrow for Kenya and, and see what God did there. It's just exciting. And so, anyway, I'm running off the mouth. I'm going to preach for an hour and a half tonight, I promise you. <laughs> Um, here's a couple of scriptures that might be useful to you. Their prayer, this one's a prayer. Psalm 139, verse 23. This comes from the message version of the Bible. And it says it this way, Investigate my life, O God. Find out whether, find out everything about me. Cross-examine me and test me. Get a clear picture of what I'm about. See for yourself whether I've done anything wrong. Then guide me on the road to eternal life. Now, Think about the words that are on that prayer. Investigate my life, O oh God. Find out everything about me. Cross-examine me. Test me. You get a clear picture of what I'm about. Do you think for five seconds that God doesn't already got a clear picture of what you're all about? What the guy's saying is, <laughs> reveal to me what I need to know. You know, Lord, put me through the, the, the filters and, and let me know what I need to know about my life so I can get my life right. Uh, Psalm 19, verse 12. How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? 
Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sins. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now, again, how can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Well, I I think that the sins that are in your heart, you know. I don't think any of us are numb to sin that's lurking in our heart. I I think that first part is actually talking about all the temptations that are lurking in my heart. You know, there there are thoughts that the devil throws at you uh, you didn't want to have. You didn't want to lust after that woman. You know, and you, you, you looked. You know, I think you get the first one free. <laughs> you looked and said, oh, she's pretty. It's the second one. <laughs> That's the one. That's the one that starts down the path that leads to destruction. And so he, when he says this about the sins that are lurking in my heart, it's, it's, it's the little thought bombs of Satan, the things that, are, that, he, that, he's, that he's trying to get into my brain with. Uh, Lord, spare me from this stuff. I don't want to live a life that's not, pl- not cleansing to you. And then uh, it ends, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, the words that I speak and the thoughts that I think be pleasing to you, O Lord, because you are my rock. When the world's against me, you're my strong place. You're my redeemer. You bought me out of sin. Is this good? Well, you know, uh, Jesus gave us this parable about the four soils. And I always think of this parable as a kind of a, of a, of a checklist, a, a way of looking at my life. And, and uh, I, I believe you can apply this parable to evangelism, but I, I believe that you can also apply it to your own life. And you remember that the, 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 he says the sower went out to sow. This is Matthew 13. We're not going to read it. And he said that uh, some seed fell on the roadside. And seed that falls on asphalt doesn't, you know, doesn't do much. Uh, I've been in Roman roads in, in, in the Middle East. In Israel, I've been in Roman roads in, just outside of Rome, in Pompeii. And they were paved with stone. And they still exist today. And you can see the ruts of the wagon wheels from 2,000 years ago. Pretty amazing. But if you go out and throw seed out there, you're not going to get much growing. And so he says there's the one kind of soil that's the roadbed. And then he said there's the seed that is thrown in the gravel, and it shrivels up and disappears. Uh, In my neighborhood, I live in Eva Beach now, and they're building new neighborhoods all around, and they're bringing in tons and tons and tons of coral. I've I've watched them take a a neighborhood that was like, it was this big, vast lot. They're going to build like 400 homes. And it was below the, 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 the level of the road surface by four feet. Now it's four feet higher than the surface of the road. They brought in truck after truck after truck after truck after truck of what they dug out when they built Campbell Harbor. And so then they, they got these crushing machines that drive back and forth over it. And, and they make this, this and, and weeds will grow there. But boy, I'm telling you, that is all that's going to grow. Then they put some topsoil and you get a little growth. And so... He says that seed that is grown in shallow gravel is going to just kind of sprout up real quickly because the heat of the sun on the, on, the, on, the, on the gravel makes it get warmer faster, but then there's not enough water and nothing happens. And then he talks, and this is where it starts to get close to home, I think, about seeds that fall in the side of the road in the weeds. And he says that there's a problem and that the, the seed... 
is soon choked off by the weeds. And he says very specifically, the weeds are the cares and concerns and the worries of this world. How am I going to get ahead? How am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to get that 80-inch TV that Costco puts in front of me every time I walk in the store? <laughs> I am not the only one, huh? <laughs> I am plotting. I just think, oh, every time I look at that thing, you know. And then they show the 55-inch one looking so small, that picture, and there's that 80-inch thing. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> the stuff gets in the way of our walk with God, the stuff. And the weeds come and they choke it out. And then he says that there's a seed that falls in the good soil, and it brings forth... 30, 60, and 100 times as much as was planted. I don't know about you. Uh, I, I don't think myself probably the person that's going to bring time the 100 thing. I, I, I hope I'm not the 30. I, I, I like to think of myself as the 60 guy. You know, when I hear the parable of the talents. I never think I'm the 10-talent guy, but I'd sure like to be the 5-talent guy. I don't want to be the 1-talent guy who buried it in the ground and produced nothing. I want my life to be productive for the Lord with whatever limited gifts I've got. I want to leverage them as much as I can. Am I making sense? You know, you want to know something? I mean, I'm not kidding when I say this. I, I, I would imagine that some people would sit there and say, oh yeah, you say you're not the 10 talent guy. Well, where do you get, you know, five, 700 churches? Well, here's where you get them. I figured out a long time ago I wasn't going to ever pastor a really big church because I just didn't have the talent for it. I figured I was going to probably pastor a church of 30 people all my life. And so I figured out the best way to take what little I had was to multiply it in other people. And when you keep multiplying, eventually, it's like compound interest. It grows. What are you multiplying in your life? What's the spinoff from your life that's affecting somebody else's life? What are you multiplying? What are you growing? What are you giving? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11 says, If you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. If you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. Sometimes it's when we think that we're the strongest uh, that we become vulnerable to the devil and for his little schemes and temptations because you know we're also revved up. Uh, and, 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 and then we're, we stop paying attention to the little details that we need to pay attention to in our life. He goes on in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 13. And he says, I pray to God. He's talking about a goal. I pray to God that you will not do what is wrong by refusing our correction. I hope we won't need to demonstrate our authority when we arrive. Do the right thing before we come, even if that makes it look like we have failed to demonstrate our authority. For we cannot oppose the truth, but must always stand for the truth. We are glad to seem weak if it helps show that you're actually strong. In other words, I'm talking tough here, but if I come to town and everything's all fixed up, I won't have much to say. And I would really be happy to come to town and look like a weakling because you guys cleaned up your act and I got nothing left to say. I, I, I'm not taking pleasure in showing up here to bring discipline to your life. I just want to see God's grace poured out in your life so you get it all figured out so you don't need me. Does that make sense? I mean, some of you people I know, 
that you're in the Word and you're in prayer and you have a worship relationship with the Lord, and 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 I and and you come here on Saturday night more for the fellowship than for the wondrous preaching. <laughs> and that is right. And it should be that way. That your life is so healthy, you really don't need what I'm up here saying right now. Because you got it knocked. And so that's what Paul's saying. If I show up and I don't have anything to say, I'm talking, you know, I'm writing this letter and it's pretty hard words. And if I show up and there's nothing for me to do, well, then that's really good. I got a problem right now in Japan, and uh, two pastors that I love dearly are furious at one another, and they're not talking to each other. It's like, oh my gosh! And if you're listening to this on the internet, I hope, I hope, I hope when I come there, I don't have to do anything. Because I hope you get it right. Because they might be listening. Because sometimes they do. Sometimes they listen to our sermons and then preach them next week. <laughs> it's part of our training. But I also got some extra firepower. Carl's going to Japan in a month. And I hope he solves the problem and I don't have to. <laughs> but Paul's saying, I hope that I can come and be weak. Because you won't need me because you did everything right. And so he says... We pray, verse 9, that you will become mature. We pray that you'll become mature. You know, most times when you read the word perfect in your Bible, it's actually saying mature. I had a friend once that taught me something. It was really good. I lived in California where, where I mean, I lived in Hawaii where there's lemon trees, but we don't grow a lot of lemon trees around here. But I lived in California where they grow a lot of lemon trees. And lemons are different than limes or oranges or grapefruits or, you know, other stuff. Lemons always have fruit in all stages of development on the tree at once. They have lemon blossoms. They got little tiny BB-sized green lemons. They got lemons as big as a marble that are hard and green and would kill you probably if you ate them. And then they got real ripe yellow fruit on the tree at the same time, all at once. And, 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 and the guy said, if you look at a lemon... And, and, and the tree's healthy, then whatever stage of development that lemon is at, it's mature. Because it's where it's supposed to be for the amount of time it's been on the tree. Am I making sense? Are you where you're supposed to be for the amount of time that you've been on the tree? That's the question. Have you grown to where you're supposed to grow? And so, you're just wanting to build them up and to see them become healthy and balanced and whatever. And you know, we talk about our church, and I, I want to just go over this just a little bit because we, we, we basically are promoting four values, four things that we really want to see happen. And, and um, are they happening in your life? That's the question. Uh, we want to connect people to God. We want to connect through the Word, through prayer, through worship. These guys aren't up here just because they think they're an old man's rock band. They're here because they're worshiping the Lord. I don't know if you know, but Keith has been going through huge and horrible health problems. Fluid building up in his body, fluid building up in his legs. He'll be in the hospital all week long and then standing here on Saturday night leading worship. To me, man, it makes a hero out of that guy. Huh? Yeah, absolutely. 
They're not goofing off. So when we, we're in the Word, when we're in prayer, when we're in communion, when we're in worship, uh, we're here to do one thing and, and really connect people to God. But we're here to do a second thing, and that's to connect people to God's family. You know, I know people who, uh, it's funny, I don't know very many of them in Hawaii. I've known them in California who claim to be uh, what I call Lone Ranger Christians, you know. They don't need anybody else. They don't need to go to church. Uh, you know, you may not need to go to church because of my wonderful preaching, but you do need to go to church because of the people that are seated around you. Because this is not something that you do by yourself. This is something that you do in fellowship with other people. So we want to connect to God. We want to connect to God's family. Third thing is we want to equip you to serve. We want to get you out of your routine. Just get you out of yourself. Why in the world do you think that we put out all the energy and effort and money buying t-shirts and the whole thing to, to do the thing called Make a Difference Day last week? It wasn't just to paint a fence and to go clean a highway. I, I was up, we were cleaning from the Kahala side. I was with those guys. We were cleaning Diamond Head Beach Park, the upper part of it by the highway. And actually, I found some trash bags. Somebody had cleaned it the day before. Uh, in fact, in Kahala, guys, they went around looking for what can we clean. We had an interesting thing. We wanted to go and do a bunch of work at the public schools. And they are so afraid of this atheist guy who's threatening them about church and state all the time that we could go clean a campus, but we couldn't wear a T-shirt that said Hope Chapel on it. And so we thought, well, that, we're not going to do that. We want the community to know we're here. So then we got away from the public school. We called the city and said, can we clean your parks and do stuff like that? And they, and they said, yeah, come on. And so they went around in, in the other side of the island, and they started looking for a dirty park to clean. And they went through f how many parks? Four. He went through four parks, and they were all whistle clean. I mean, the place that we went and had the picnic, it's like we had some people that stayed behind to clean the park, and it's like boring. You know? So I go up, and, and, and we're cleaning the road. We were down to picking up cigarette butts because there wasn't anything else to pick up. I, somebody really did a thing. And so I'm there, and it's hot, and I'm old, and I didn't drink enough water, and I'm bending over with my trash bag, picking up stuff and picking up stuff, and I'm starting to get really dizzy. I mean, that happens, you know, when you get old. And uh, it's like, oh, my gosh. And, and so a couple times I had to stop and drink some water and sit under the shade of a tree, and I was scared I was getting heat stroke, you know. And, and then I start thinking, this is really stupid. I mean, who's going to notice? I'm, I'm, I'm finding little fragments of plastic that are like bright orange or bright blue that are a half inch by a half inch. I'm, I'm picking them up and putting them in my... Nobody in the world's going to notice! But you know what it did? It took 60-some people and fired them up about serving their community, about doing something in the name of Jesus Christ, for people out there in the world that don't know the Lord, and instead of preaching at them, we're going to go out there and we're going to serve them. And people were walking by and they were noticing the shirts. And that part was really good. But what I'm interested in wasn't what happened last Saturday. It's what happened this Thursday or this Friday or next Tuesday or next Wednesday as we get it in our system to go out and do stuff that we got equipped to serve. Equipped to serve inside of our church and equipped to serve 
outside of our church in the community, and the kind of stuff that Charlie... How many glasses did you guys give away? Over a thousand pair of glasses in Kenya because of this church. Is that cool or what? I mean, you know, when I say over a thousand pair of glasses, oh, yeah, it's wonderful. Uh, praise the Lord, you know. I go to a cool church where you gave away a thousand pair of glasses. Think about 1,000 individuals that couldn't read two months ago now can read. Think about one, my, my wife is absolutely bonkers insane in love with my grandchildren. I don't know if she loves me at all. All I know is she loves them. She's just nuts about grandchildren. Think about a woman who turned 40 and all of a sudden she couldn't see up close anymore. And suddenly she can look her grandchild in the eye and, and the kid's seven years old. She never was able to look the kid in the eye and see anything but a blur before in her life. And multiply that by a thousand. And you understand why? How many people went? Fifteen people saved up all that money to go halfway around the planet. It's literally, it's more than halfway around the planet to go to Kenya. They went more than halfway around the planet to go to Kenya. And how long was your, your longest time without sleep? I mean, you stayed up all night in Dubai. And so, how, what was it? 20 some hours? 26 hours without sleeping. Uh, what motivates people to do that? See, we want to equip you to serve. And after you do that, what are you going to do when you get home? I mean, you're going to be fired up to do something. It's good stuff. We want to empower you to win the world. We want to empower you to win the world. We don't want to just go put glasses on people. How many people got saved in Kenya? 37 people got saved in Kenya. Uh, these guys are trying to figure out ways of raising money to establish a church building. They meet in a horrible tin shed in that place in Kenya. And it's just one place out of a million or a hundred million that we could be looking at. Uh, but we want to empower us to win the world. And we believe we can do it. We believe we can do it. We can make a difference. Am I making sense? Sure. You know, I, I spent this morning talking to a bunch of people, uh, getting to do in Hawaii what I normally do in other parts of the world. The last time I taught those notes, I was in Kiev, Ukraine, talking to a bunch of Jewish people in a church of about 2,000 people uh, who started on the ground, the very ground, where the Germans dug huge trenches with bulldozers lined up all the Jews that they could find and shot them in the back of the head. Uh, and then they made a park over it. The bones are still there. And this church had no place to meet about 25 years ago. And they went out after the communist thing broke in 1989. They went out and started a little church on the ground where their ancestors and most of the people in that church had people that, that died in the Holocaust. And some of the people in that church that I met have got the numbers still tattooed in their arm. They were on their way to it. And they started this little church, and, and now they, they started 40 churches from this church. And, I mean, just amazing. But you see, there's a connection between what is going on in mini church, because you're not only getting blessed in mini church, somebody is learning how to be a leader in mini church. And then that person who learns how to be a leader learns how to maybe be a staff member here or learns how to just go directly out and start a new church 
And this is where we get our pastors and our missionaries from. We're trying to equip our church so that we can make a difference in the world. And uh, when you start as many churches as we have, you have changed the world. You've changed thousands and thousands and thousands of lives. Well, he goes on, he talks about hard work paying off. And he says, dear brothers and sisters, I close my letter with these last words. He's coming to the end of 2 Corinthians. Be joyful. Rejoice. You got God doing a lot of good stuff in your life. Be happy. Grow to maturity. Become what you're supposed to be where you're at. You may not be supposed to be as mature as the person next to you. I mean, look at you guys. How long have you been walking with the Lord? Only about nine months. Only about nine months. How long have you been walking with the Lord? Since right after you came over here. Since right after I came over here. Only about 29 years. <laughs> so the guy who's nine months in the, old, in the Lord, maturity is one thing. The guy who's 29 years in the Lord, maturity is another thing. And so he says, grow to maturity. Keep on growing, because every day you're supposed to be more mature than the day before. Encourage each other. Bless each other. Encourage one another. Live in harmony and peace. This church in Corinth, they didn't live in harmony and peace. They were down each other's throats all the time. And then he says, if you do this, the God of peace and love will be with you. Greet each other with Christian love. Actually, what he says in another translation in the original language is, greet each other with a holy kiss, you know. And so they always sort of modify the translation in America, right? Because we don't kiss. Uh, but if you go to Europe, they all kiss. They, you know, you go to, go to France and they kiss you on both cheeks. And, and, but in France, they just air kiss you. I like that, you know. The guy comes up and goes, that's just fine. Uh, you, you know, you come around here, we hug. Uh, you go to Italy, they smack you on the neck real big and wet. It's like, oh, my gosh. Uh, in, in, in Japan, they bow. So it would be, greet each other with a holy bow. Show deference to one another. Love each other. And then he says this, greet each other with Christian love. All of the God's people here send you their greetings. We're not in this together. We're, where I'm at, the people here care about you, and they send you their greetings. Verse 14, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. May the grace of the Lord Jesus. I think we misunderstand grace. Grace is far more than a free ticket out of hell. We are saved by grace through faith and not ourselves. But what is grace? In one place in the Bible, Paul links grace to the power of God. The very word that we have for spiritual gifts, miracles, is grace says. It's charismata, which is the plural of charis, which directly translates into grace. And so when he says the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's talking about the miracle power working of God in your life. May the power of, of God that set you free from sin and will set you free from a bunch of other stuff, may the love of God and may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. I love the fellowship of the Holy Spirit because we don't understand the word fellowship. The Greek word koinonia, which means nothing to anybody in this room, uh, actually means, we, we translate it most often fellowship, but it means partnership. A good marriage is a good koinonia. Brothers and sisters in the body of Christ is a good koinonia. 
A healthy mini church is a good koinonia. He says, may the koinonia of the Holy Spirit be with you. In other words, the fellowship that you have with each other because you have the Spirit of God in you. You know, have you ever found yourself in a situation where you go in like, a, maybe you're in a new job or you meet somebody in a new neighborhood, a new store, and something just inside you tells you that that person's a Christian? They didn't say anything. They didn't do it. You just know. See, that's the, the, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit on steroids, man. That, that's, that's really good. But, 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 but as you know, grow together in love and, 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 and become all that we can be. Uh, go, go where we need to go in the Lord. And so what we want to do is live the best life possible. We want to live the best life possible by connecting to God, connecting to his people, getting equipped, and going out there and changing the world. We want to live the best life that we could possibly live. I don't know about you, but one day, uh, I do know about you, one day you're going to stand before God. And you know what? The Bible talks about judgment, and it talks about it in two ways. It talks about judgment of some people are going to go to hell, some people are going to go to heaven. But if you read Revelation and you read it close, it talks about you go to heaven and then there's judgment. And then you're going to get rewarded according to how you lived your Christian life. It's not just judgment that says you go to hell, you go to heaven. It's judgment that says you go to heaven, you live in a shack, you go to heaven, you live in a mansion. Okay? Uh, remember Jesus said, my father's house are many mansions? Well, I want one. <laughs> it talks about the Lord one day looking at you when you go and meet him. And he says, well done good and faithful servant. Paul's saying, double check how you're doing. And he's really saying double check the little things because it's the little things that mount up. You won't do the big things if you're not doing the little things. Double check the little things so that one day you get that point where God looks at you in the eye and goes, well done, good and faithful servant. You know, we've had several deaths here in the last couple of weeks. I, I, it just... Amazing. All, all at once, about four different people in our church passed away just randomly. One guy had asthma and couldn't take the medication because he reacted against it. Uh, had an asthma attack on the golf course. Young guy, only a year older than me. And uh, just couldn't get his breath. Laid down, trying hard to breathe. The EMT guys come, administer oxygen to him. And, uh, and it didn't take. He, he, he just passed. We lost him. A wonderful man. Man was on our church council. Just you, you, you never know. But I, but I know him, and I know how he lived his life, and I know that he heard the words, "Well done, good and faithful servant." This guy, Carl Yoshida. Uh, if if you knew Carl, Carl, Carl was kind of a simple man. You know, he he wasn't complicated. He didn't have a big fancy job. He was a mechanic working on the city buses. Uh, but he was the most generous. Uh, you, know, you know, sometimes I, I, I'd be in a conversation with somebody after church and, and, and Carl would stand around, stand around, stand around, stand around. Finally, I get done talking to somebody and he's there with a little card to give me or, 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 or something that he had made that he just, he just wanted to bless people. He was doing what he could with what he had. Well done, Carl Yoshida, good and faithful servant. I don't know about you, but I want to be like that. Is this good? Well, let's pray and we'll be on our way. Father, we come to you tonight in Jesus' name, and we thank you for uh, who you are in our lives and the fact that you've redeemed us and, and, and dragged us out of the mud that we were in and the despair. 
Lord, we want to live our lives in a way that would be pleasing to you, that would be fruitful to you. And Lord, we know that, that, that it really happens in the details. We want to be careful about the details. We want to get it right. And so we just submit ourselves all over again, almost as if we were coming to you and getting saved all over again. We just want to come and say, God, help me get it right. Help me get it right. I want to live my life in a way that proves fruitful. I want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. We surrender to you tonight.